0: well good morning church Our good afternoon uh, good evening when you find this it really is a privilege to to jump in here today on video and then later here live uh, with, with the church service and the church gathering um, why is it a privilege unique today well because after 1.5 years over 10 communicators 19 months 28 chapters 540 days 1071 verses 23,343 astonishing words of Christ. Uh, we've finally reached Jesus' parting shot in the Gospel of Matthew. This is it. We've journeyed through another book of the Bible together, our 18th book to journey through together. Every book, grace and like honey to our lips, and Matthew's been no different for us. I pray that it's been awesome for you as we've looked at the words of of Christ what he what he spoke and how they have impact which is Matthew's meaning well again as with all parting shots Jesus had intent he had a he had a reason to say the last things that he said it was meant to shock the hearer it was meant to impact the hearer That specifically for the disciples and today if we can grasp these parting words these last words in the Gospel of Matthew it'll do the exact same thing today for us it'll It'll be fresh. It'll be new. It'll produce something in us. And Tyler showed us last week, before we get to the parting shot, this uh, death that Jesus has just endured. And I want to recap a couple of things about that last week. It was indeed a public death. It was real. People saw it. There was no denying the death of Jesus. Historians have even noted the death of Jesus. It's nothing that can be denied. And it was indeed a painful death. It was a gruesome death. It was meant to show us and to prove to us the the wrath of God. And it really did fall on Christ. And it should have fallen on mankind. But it it fell on the precious lamb. It was a planned death. Um, Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Meaning that God himself had planned this. But also Jesus voluntarily plan this. You remember he he said, listen, nobody takes my life away from me. I lay it down and I also have authority to pick it up. So it was planned and as Peter says in 1 Peter 1.19, it was indeed a precious death. It was precious because it was this gracious substitutionary moment. His righteousness for our unrighteousness and flip side, our unrighteousness fell on the righteous one and he who knew no sin literally became sin this was the precious substitution and, and here's the deal if he stays dead then nothing's changed death is still victorious death is still reigning the the curse is still intact and so that's where Tyler left us last week and I love the quote that he ended his sermon with and it said this darkness fell His friends scattered, hope seemed lost, but heaven started counting to three. And that is where we end up with uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Tyler left the ball on the tee for the home run moment to occur. And so the home run moment is about to occur. So one last time, church, in the Gospel of Matthew... I encourage us to hear the words of the Lord to us. Matthew chapter 28, as we com- conclude our, our journey together. Again, always, always bittersweet. It's like losing a, an old friend that you've been journeying with for a long time. But let's hear the words of Matthew 28 and see the intent with Jesus' final parting shot to His disciples and to us. Matthew 28, verse 1. First, we're going to see this, this, just this, this powerful scene that's going to occur. Um, nature's going to be trembling, and an angel is going to be glowing, um, and guards are going to be frozen in their steps. Verse 1, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now that's just a side note. If you've ever wondered why we don't worship on the Sabbath anymore, this is the first Lord's Day and so we worship on Sunday to celebrate the Lord's Day. But let's continue, verse 2, and behold, here we go, nature trembling, and behold there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. This powerful, powerful scene ends with these guards now playing possum, and I probably would too, and you probably would as well. This is a powerful scene right after the death of Jesus. This is the first thing that occurs. The earth is trembling as Jesus is on the cross, and now as something's about to occur, the earth is trembling again. This is a powerful, powerful moment. And now we're going to move into even more powerful words from this angel. Verse 5, But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified, where Tyler left us last week. He is not here, for he has Risen, And there are no more powerful words, if true, in all of the world, then he is not here, he is risen. And I'll even add the third one, and he's headed to Galilee. Anyway, let's continue, verse 6, he's not here, he's risen, as he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. And, and this is important because Jesus had already told them. If you'll remember back when Peter's denial was foretold by Christ in, in chapter 26, he said, listen... The, 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 the shepherd will be slaughtered and the sheep will scatter but I will go before you to Galilee and so Jesus had already told them when he rose they were gonna meet up again and hang out in Galilee so this is this moment this is occurring verse 8 so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples now listen I'm, I don't know the 40 speed on these women but I'm pretty sure in this, you, this moment, Usain Bolt had nothing against these women who were scooting to go find the disciples to tell them this powerful scene that's occurred. And now these powerful words, here's the deal. It gets even more powerful as we keep going on. Verse 9, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Verse 10, then Jesus said, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Two things that are awesome about this moment. Number one, faith had just been made sight. It's one thing to hear that something good's going to occur, and it's a whole nother thing for now this faith to be made sight. And this is a stupid illustration, and it doesn't hold a candle, but maybe to get the picture of what I'm saying, they've heard that Jesus was going to rise, and now he really did. It's kind of like my mom who, who says, Hey, I'm going to bring you a pound cake. Now that sounds great in my head, but the moment she arrives with the pound cake, and I lay hold of that warm aluminum foil and then bust it open and smell the aroma and then cut a slice through it. And then it hits my tongue and there's just an explosion of saliva and, and all the tastes and it hits the palate. and It's a whole new thing. It's a whole new experience. Jesus has just exploded in all of their senses they're touching him, they're holding him, they're hearing him, they're smelling him. They're All of these things are real now. Their faith has became made sight for the women. And notice what he says. Go tell my brothers, not my slaves, not those crazy vagabonds who scattered when I needed them the most. Not them, but my brothers. And so Jesus comes into this moment bringing way more than pound cake but bringing himself to them so this happens and then we we have a little interjection here of just kind of this ludicrous cover-up story okay so let's read it verse 11 while they were going behold some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while they were asleep. Now this is ludicrous. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews even to this day. Now let me point out real quick in the midst of this powerful moment why this is a ludicrous story. Okay, number one, these are Roman guards. Okay, this is not one or two um, paid servants just to kind of stand there. These are trained Roman guards, like a whole flock is not the word, but uh, uh, somebody knows the word I'm looking for, but I can't think of it right now. Uh, a whole uh, battalion, okay? This is, this is a group of Roman guards who are trained, and if they would have allowed somebody to steal the, the, a body from a tomb, if they would have gone to sleep, something like that, they would have been put to death. Okay, so number one, it's, it's, it's a group of Roman guards. And number two, they're all asleep, They all just happen to fall asleep. And then number three, if they're asleep, who doesn't hear a group of disciples coming to roll away a 2,000-pound stone and the bustling and rustling of stealing a body? How on earth do they not wake up? This is just an asinine story in the midst of this powerful moment. But nonetheless, it is here for us to, to see that. And so then we keep going. So we've got this powerful scene, these powerful words, an even more powerful moment of showing up to these ladies. We've got this ludicrous cover-up story. And then finally we end the Gospel of Matthew with a great commission. Parting shots. And I'm even going to say right off the bat, I'm not sure the words great commission really give us the sense of what this is. Um, We think of great commission, and it's almost as if this is optional. And I think maybe a better word is Jesus leaves us with a non-optional, mandatory commission in light of His powerful resurrection. Let's look at at that together. Verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some still doubted. And then Jesus came and he said to them two things, or a bunch of things encapsulated in two main statements. He said to them, number one, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And then the second statement, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now here's the deal, church. If all of this is true, and if Jesus is really alive, what was Jesus' final intent? Well, here's what I think. I would say the two things that he just said. Number one, his intent was to show that all authority in heaven and on earth really is given to him as the resurrected Lord. All authority. Not some authority. Not partial authority. Not... We get some authority, he gets some authority, and we get to debate about who's going to be the authoritative one or not. He, as the risen Lord, gets all authority, so obedience is not optional. It's not optional. That was his intent, to show these disciples, listen, following me in obedience as the risen Lord is not optional, and these disciples literally took that all the way to their death, and so should We. That's the level to which the risen Lord, if if we can feel, if we can sense the risenness of the Lord and the power of the resurrection, we'll see the implication that obedience is just not optional. Who else can claim lordship other than a risen Lord? No president can claim that, no governor can claim that, no boss can claim that, no teacher can claim that, no instructor can claim that. Nobody can claim that type authority. I mean, what bigger event in life is there to submit yourself to? What birthday party is bigger? What anniversary is bigger? What moment, what celebration is bigger to trump our obedience to the Lord? Oh well I can just kind of forget about the lord because we're really celebrating this moment. No 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 no. No no no. His moment of resurrection trumps every moment and demands allegiance. What I'm trying to say is if we can feel the resurrection, it just changes everything. It changes how we see everything. There's there's no Greater reason to submit to anything other than a resurrection from the dead. What I'm trying to say is the resurrection killed optional Christianity. It killed it. Church is no longer optional with the resurrected Lord, worship is not optional, mission is not optional. Serving is not optional. Sharing is not optional. Giving is not optional. Repenting is not optional. Reconciliation is not optional. Peacemaking is not optional. Pursuing holiness is not optional. Singing is not optional. Studying is not optional. Shepherding is not optional. Believing is not optional because all authority is given to Him so anything He says is not optional. Why? Because we serve a risen Lord because He's good, yes, but we serve a risen Lord because He is risen. And that in and of itself is to show us that He really does have all authority over our lives. Whether we want Him to or not, He has all authority. That's intent number one, I believe. And then intent number two of the parting shot is what he says. He said, uh, Not only has all authority of heaven and earth been given to me, so therefore go make disciples, teaching them, baptizing them, all of those things that we usually hang on to in the Great Commission. But then he also says this intent number two and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, and only a resurrected Lord can make that type claim. So if He's with us always to the end of the age, not only is obedience not optional, but church, listen, encouragement is not optional for the believer. In the resurrection of the Lord, we stand encouraged perpetually. There's never a moment that can trump the encouragement of the resurrection of the Lord. The God of the universe is with you always. I mean, just let that sink in for a moment. The God of the universe is with you in your car. The God of the universe is with you as you're watching this right now. The God of the universe is going to be with you while you're sleeping. The God of the universe is with you at work. The God of the universe is with you working out. The God of the universe is with you in school. The God of the universe is with you in your struggles. The God of the universe is perpetually with you, and there's no greater reason to rejoice than that. And the resurrection alone proves this so there's yes there, there's there's nothing he doesn't have authority over but there's also no moment that he is absent from as the resurrected lord let me paint that into some more very practical pictures our reigning resurrected lord his intent was to show that he is presently authoritative and active over the coronavirus He's present over politics. He's present over the stars, he's present over the moon, he's present over the rain, he's present over the clouds, he's present over our health, he's present over our death, he's present over our bank accounts, he's present over your depression, he's present over the end times, he's present in the midst of sports, he's present in the midst of your job. He's Present in the midst of your marriage. He's present in the midst of your divorce. He's present in the midst of your successes. He's present in the midst of your screw ups. He's present in the midst of your parenting. He's present with your kids. He's present with you in your kidlessness. He's present Over your crepe myrtles blooming, he's present over your gardens dying. He's present over those tiny little sugar ants that keep trying to build little houses inside my door as you come into the entrance of my house. He's present and he's risen and he's reigning over all of it. All of it. And that is reason for us to rejoice. Why? Because as He said, if you're a believer, He is with you and He will never leave you and He will never forsake you. And only a resurrected Lord can claim that. And I believe that, church, is Jesus' parting shot for us as we leave the Gospel of Matthew. Long journey through it. But we get to this mark that He encourages the disciples and says, Listen, I've got all authority, and I'm always going to be with you. And He's still saying that to us today, 2,000 years later. So church, be encouraged. A couple of things I do think comes to mind. An antagonist can get to the end of the Gospel of Matthew and say, whoa, 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 whoa. If he really has all authority and if he's really present, then why is there so much evil in the world? If that's you, let me say a couple of things to you. Number one, don't pawn off your sinful choices and our sinful choices in humanity onto a holy Lord. There's evil because we birth evil and we choose evil. That's why there's evil. If you really wanted God to exercise His sovereign control, which is what you're claiming if you're saying, why does He allow all this evil? If you really wanted to exercise His sovereign strong hand, then what He would do is crush it in justice. And he would demand holiness, and therefore he would just obliterate everyone. That is what a holy God should do. So the real question is, why on earth does a holy, sovereign God allow anything good to occur to us sinful choice people? And the answer is, it's because he's gracious. It's gracious. So, if your question is, if he's really present, then why is there so much evil? I just reject your question right off the bat. I don't think it stands. It's, it's present because we choose it and we bear the consequences of it. If you want him to be puppet master over humanity, it would be to just crush humanity to war for his own holiness. It's grace. It's grace that He allows us in this moment to see anything good, to be drawn to Him, so that in the world to come, which has no evil, we'll see His glory and goodness to extend His grace to us. And then question number two would be something like this. Well, is the resurrection, that sounds great, Troy, but but is the resurrection really real? I mean, is it really that big of a deal, or, or did they really just steal the body? Like, maybe the disciples, maybe the guards really did just fall asleep. Well, four things I would say to that. Number one, the resurrection was public. Everybody saw um, the, the death, and then over 500 witnesses saw the resurrected Jesus in person. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. When people were saying, well, was he really raised? Paul said, look, here's 500 people who saw him. You can go talk to any of these 500 people. Now, here's the deal. You don't die for a lie. That's just not something you would die for. And, and we're not talking about 1, 2, 10, 20, or 50 people who claim to have seen the resurrected Jesus. Here's 500 people you can go talk to, Paul says. So number one, the resurrection was public as well. Number two, it was a physical resurrection. Jesus wasn't just a ghost. Um, because of Hollywood and just kind of really some bad theology, sometimes we think that the resurrection is like this translucent, ghostly, jasper-like creature just kind of floating around. No, 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 Jesus, if you'll remember... He said, touch me. Here, feel me. You can feel me. This is not a, an aberration, I think is the word I'm looking for, right? And I'm, I'm real. As a matter of fact, I'm hungry. Feed me some fish. So he eats fish with them. So the resurrection was public. It was also physical. Therefore, the resurrection is powerful. If you're wrestling with, is the resurrection really that big a deal? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's powerful because it's, it's suicide, to go up against an indestructible foe. And this is what Jesus is showing in his resurrection, that there's no force, there's no person more powerful than him. And so it's suicide to reject him. So it's public, it's physical, it's powerful. And as we've seen today, so yes, it is that big of a deal because it's personal. It's personal because Jesus is saying, as the resurrected Lord, I have authority and I'm with you. In other words, you too can be on my kickball team. He doesn't look around and go, oh, there's Troy. He's got them little bitty squatty legs and he's never going to be able to kick the ball. And so we're going to pick him dead last. Jesus stands there and says, as the resurrected Lord, I'm inviting you to come and to worship me and to rest in me, and to feel my very presence. So what is Jesus' intent? Unbeliever, His intent is clear. The offer stands for you today to trust in the resurrected Jesus. But it won't stand forever. The offer won't be there forever. He's being gracious to you and to His disciples in this moment to believe and to trust in Him I beg of you, if you're an unbeliever, to repent of your sin, to repent of your falling short of the holy standard, and to trust in Christ's righteousness, the one who lived the life that you couldn't live, died the death that you deserved, was conquered death, raised from the dead, which you can't do, and ascends into the right hand of the Father. Preparing a place for believers. Trust in His substitutionary righteousness for you. Call out, Lord, save me. And on the authority of God's Word, if you'll commit your life to Him, then He will be Lord over you and for you. So, unbeliever, call on Him today. And then believer, what's His intent for us? I think it's just as equally clear. Everyone wants to die, I think, on their deathbed being able to say, Lord, I served you well. I don't think anyone wants to go to their deathbed going, Golly, I I didn't serve the Lord at all. I I wasted my time, and I think that's His intent. Is Jesus is saying, serve me well. As the resurrected Lord, no one wants to die a Grinch with their heart ten times too small. So therefore, as the resurrected Lord, the commission is great. Believers, it is not optional. So, go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Gospel of Matthew.